step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny taking care of us behind the glass. And it's our our, our last show of the season, Glenn. I know. It feels strange. I mean, the whole season feels strange, but we weren't quite ready to be done yet. I I know. Here we are. (laughs) And to think, too, that it's June, but it's only the end of the first round. (laughs) I know. I know. Is also Everything a little weird. weird. It's like, oh, hey, June, they made it to June. That means they made it to the conference final, right? Yep. <laughs> no. Uh, so, Everything feels backwards. So we do have plenty to discuss in, in this. Uh, we have a fantastic guest coming up later, Dr. Joel Corbier. He's the head coach for Eastern Kentucky University Hockey, but also has a book out about coaching, hockey and coaching, and just a unique perspective on that as well, called uh, Hockey Midnight in Kentucky. So looking forward to having him on, but let's, let's just jump right into this too. It's been a week basically since the Predators mm-hmm. season ended. And of course it had to end in an overtime. And I just, <laughs> the way that it ended threw me off guard because I have barely gotten settled into my seat and ready to go because it ended so quickly into overtime that I, I looked up and I saw it happen and it was just dead silent. I was like, uh, 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 Oh, that's, I that's it. I blinked and it was done. Yeah, like that's yeah. it. That's the season, right? Right there. It's it's it was a, it's weird for a season to end in overtime, for a series to end in overtime, especially when it's the away team that's winning, because mm-hmm. you don't have them in celebration except for just what's on the ice, and that's all you hear is a celebration on the ice. Whereas yeah. everyone else is just deathly silent. There's no music playing, there's no booze or anything. It's just deathly silent, and that's how it ends. Whereas if for some odd reason not arteries but for some reason it ends in regulation and say the team that is winning is up three to one at least those last couple minutes you know they're making a big push with an empty net things like that but your mind is preparing itself for the final horn to sound and for it to be over an actual signifying end of the season with that horn whereas here it's a goal being scored and unlike video games or things like that there's no sound that is really made when a putt goes behind a goalie it's just a (laughs) (laughs) and then it's oh Oh, everybody's looking around and it does. And it's something that was within reach is over so quickly. And that's, that's the toughest to swallow. Like you said, if at least if there's some like lead up, there's anticipation of like, oh, let's make this final push. The crowd's going crazy, but the crowd's like, oh, this might not work. But Mm -hmm. man, yeah, like you said, you sit down your seat, you get situated, you blink your eyes and all of a sudden the entire series is done your dream and it's yeah yeah so those that was tough because it's definitely different if you're just being outplayed and you're just like well it is what it is the game's gonna end in six minutes and it's done but yeah when it was so close within reach and to be done in a second in sudden death is just that one's that one's tough to watch yeah kind of like you know Toronto fans in game seven, they yeah. knew it was over before it was over. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, but, <laughs> but the Nashville Predators, obviously, 
it only ended in six games, but they pushed Carolina to the limits by going to four games in overtime. So four out of the six games went to overtime, multiple double overtimes. And you think for how much work that carried through because the next series began a couple days later. I mean, there was no break for teams and you can see Carolina having to deal with the exhaustion of having played so many games and tough games too. And also how good Tampa is with just what's going on in that series too. Yeah. Uh, they're now going back to Tampa down Oh two in that series. That's something that could end very quickly with yeah. the way that's going. They're not close. Like it's not like these games are looking like, Oh, they're right in it. They're going to overtime. No, they're not close games right now for them. So the predators obviously pushed them in to not try to find the silver linings or anything like that. But the Predators had their end media press conference uh, mm-hmm. today. And so multiple Predators talked, including Matias Ekholm, Roman Yossi, um, Pekka Rene, which that was, whew, uh, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg. So basically the leadership, because Ellis already spoke after the the end uh, of the game, so that he did not speak today. And then Poyle and Hines will go tomorrow. Uh, but you could tell the sense of uh, not superb frustration like you've seen in previous seasons, but more of a sense of, yeah, we accomplished a lot. We're really disappointed into this way, but hungry for more. The mm-hmm. way that I think it ended after the president's trophy winning season more so that they knew they played a really good opponent in Winnipeg, that those are the one and two teams in the league mm-hmm. and that they should not have met in the second round kind of thing. And that's the sense I got that there was, there was disappointment, but they knew they had to make a huge push to make the playoffs. And they did stellar things in the regular season to, to make it that way. So again, mm-hmm. Not trying to find the silver lining, but the team, given where it was at the beginning of March compared to how it finished, that's a minor yeah. success. It's still not good enough, and it makes me question what could happen in the offseason, if the offseason is going to be good enough for this team in the future. Uh, but, Glenn, just I've, we've talked about what the game and the ending of the game. What were your initial thoughts? Now you've had a, a few days to digest the end of the season and what all happened. Just what are some of your thoughts? Well, I do want to take back something I said on the show weeks and weeks ago. I said, if the season would not be considered a success in my eyes, which I mean, that's very vague, but if they did not go past the first round, but I do want to take that back because I, I love finding the silver lining in things. And I think that if this was a scenario where this series ended very quickly, abruptly, they didn't push Carolina to the limits. They didn't, I mean, uh, four overtimes it was they and we talked about it the last couple of weeks I mean it was neck and neck the entire time so if they would have gone out like that I would not have considered the season a success but looking back on it after the dust has settled I think that this team and organization can really be proud of how they turned the season around I think they have more clarity of the identity of this team I think that's going to help them navigate moving forward. I just think there are a few less question marks for this team than there were, let's say, in January or February. Um, I do hate how it abruptly ended so quickly, but, I mean, we can see, like you said, I mean, yes, Tampa Bay is playing great hockey, but we're seeing what Nashville is capable of doing to a great Carolina team, and they they wore them slap out. I mean, they, they did. And it just did not go, obviously, in Nashville's favor. But it, I don't think it was a lack of effort on their part. So I think that overall, turning around a season in the way that they did, I think is commendable. So it was, it was tough to watch the loss. But at the end of the day, once the dust settles, you can safely say that 
they're a better team than they were at the beginning of the season. And I really believe that. And now there's question marks uh, <laughs> because don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you have the expansion draft come up. You have young players that obviously made a push as well. And it's curious because had the injuries not happened, this team probably would not have turned it around. Like if there were not injuries to force young players in to push the veterans, I don't think the season would have turned around like it did because you had young guys like, look, it's up to us. That's it. That's all we have. We have us is the way that I see they did it because the trend overall was not even to where it's like, well, at least they're in this game. It was, they don't look like they belong period. And they flipped the switch and the story to say, we are competitive. We have a amazing goaltender backstopping and we have young guys who are willing to come in and not just contribute, but help lead. And that's the, the, the flip that it, it took those injuries to happen to change the narrative of the season because I don't think without these injuries that they would have turned around like this. Maybe they clicked it a little bit more. Maybe they got a little more competitive, but I don't think they made the playoffs without the young guys coming in and the injuries happening. Saros flipping that switch as well, which let's get to that real quick. Mm-hmm. Yusuf Saros. I know there are multiple ways to look at this, but I'm still on that Saros should have been a finalist for the Vezina and it should have been him over Grubauer. Totally fine with Vasilevsky, obviously, and Fleury. And I'm not saying that Saros deserved to win. I'm saying that he deserved to be a top three finalist, given the stats he had, especially to close the season, that he was the backstop. Maybe maybe you consider him more for Hart trophy. <laughs> maybe he's a finalist for that. I, who knows? But he should have been a finalist for the Vezina, given his stats, especially in five-on-five five play. And you start looking at more and more of the stats and how he led, say, percentage overall after the fact. Yes, well, if he would have had a better beginning of the season, yeah, but you look at what he did to get this team to the playoffs too. And again, that starts going into heart territory more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But I think you deserve more discussion than that. And there are multiple, not just national people, there are multiple national writers of people that cover other teams. And that. I think yeah. that one of the problems too, and give you a chance to respond to this too, one of the problems was that the way the divisions were set up was that not as many people, because the GMs, yep. remember everyone, GMs vote on the Vezina. And so there are certain players that obviously are going to stand out. And Nashville didn't have the best season, and they probably just took away their their watchful eye of Saros and the Central and everything too. And then they already knew Vasilevsky. You already see what some of these other guys are capable of doing. You see how good the teams are they play for as well. And that's mm-hmm. also why Saros didn't get enough attention from the general managers. That's exactly what I'm thinking, Justin. I was going to ask you the same thing. If you were <laughs> kind of on the same page as me, of as far as just not – not a lack of paying attention to everything else that's going on, but kind of, right? Like being very laser focused on your team, your area, and then maybe some general vague headlines of like, oh, Colorado's killing it. They were doing great. So let's go ahead and, uh, you know, jot that down and not really actually taking the time to look into, like you said, statistically speaking, UCSR should be in the conversation. But when the Nashville Predators team as a whole wasn't shining throughout the whole season, well, I don't even think they took the time to look at statistics or they would have had a reason to have his name in the conversation, which you hate that that's the case. Like, why are you even doing Mm -hmm. these awards if you're not going to actually pay attention and like pick who you truly, truly think deserves it? But (laughs) (laughs) that's another conversation. But I think that's what happened. Yeah. We'll, we'll discuss what Pecorino had to say when I asked him about that as well, because we'll get that into the third segment. But up next, we have Dr. Joel Cormier. He's the head coach for Eastern Kentucky University, the hockey program there, but also professor there as well. So he has a, a great book that is just released on American Press Publishers. 
about coaching philosophy and his time coaching at Eastern Kentucky, but it's really about coaching philosophy and building a culture and a culture of coaching. And so it's great if you are a hockey coach at any level, it could be peewees, mites, high school, college, pro, whatnot. It's just a great read to look at more philosophy of coaching because it's always a great way to build whether you agree or disagree. It's just cool to always look at other people in the way they, they look at this too. So that's up next, Dr. Joel Cormier joining us here on Penalty Box here to ESPN 1025 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Excited to bring on our next guest. I love bringing other authors on here and also a nice connection with SEC HC Hockey. We have Dr. Joel Corbett joining us. He's the author of Hockey Midnight in Kentucky. He's also the coach of the Eastern Kentucky hockey team there too. So it's really exciting to get this kind of hockey mind on the program to kind of go away from just the Predators talking end of season boo-hoo and actually talk about some exciting news in, in the world of hockey and new book coming out. So Joel, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. I really appreciate it. Nah, I know it's not, not the best time of year in, in Nashville, but I will say it's still one of the great time of year with playoff hockey. It's, it's, you know, it is, the, it's like Christmas every year around this time. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. And what's, what's, what's cool about this book is just not just talking about hockey in Kentucky, but the, just the coaching philosophies and, and things like that too. But I know a lot of folks still discovering that there's college hockey that takes place in the Southeast and especially in Eastern Kentucky, because you have Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky, both with teams and, and so many different schools throughout the Southeast that, that have hockey teams. Just the, the broad question to get things started off is just what inspired you to write this book and what has been your just impression of college hockey in the Southeast? Well, you know, it's when you're in academia, there's there's quite a bit of pressure. You're supposed to publish every year. And and for me, I think my main complaint, and before I start saying nasty things about my colleagues who are in the academic world, is that it's not always um, the things that were published, and I, I find aren't always practical. And for me, it was uh, an opportunity, something that I absolutely love doing. And, and as a result, here I could make, you know, put together a publication, something I'd always wanted to do. We were all going to write books during COVID. Um, and for me, it was just to take something that I had done, which is you still can get something academic with it, you know, with my um, background and leadership and sport management, but also apply it to coaching. So that was, that was the inspiration. But truthfully, it was just um, being around this, this great game uh, all this time. I, for me, it was something to find out, not necessarily give back, but uh, something I knew I was really going to be passionate about. And, and as you know, Justin, fellow author, is, is if you're going to write something, you, you really have to be passionate about it. So um, when it came time to me finally saying, let's, let's give it a, let's give it a shot. Um, I could probably could talk forever on, on something and, and have to be about, uh, you know, life at Eastern Kentucky University Hockey. Uh, your question, you know, what, what's it been like? You know, it's the big, the big thing is, I think the biggest surprise for a lot of people is, First of all, yeah, it's club sports and, and all that, but club sports are growing as well. And universities have kind of taken notice. This is a way we can help um, deal with some ways with our own enrollment management, you know, attract kids to come to play, play for their team, play hockey in this case. And uh, I get a lot of credit. It's, it's obviously an easy audience to mention this to, but, you know, with a lot of the grassroots development that, that has happened in Nashville over the last several years with, uh, you know, starting with when Barry Trotskin hired with the Predators who have this grassroots development and then, hey, I want to continue playing some version of college hockey. Well, there's opportunities to do that. And, um, you know, you see that everywhere uh, around the Southeast now. And, and, it's, and it's an exciting time for us. We're joining the SCHC this year and we're looking forward to it. 
And Joel, I want to get into coaching a bit. I have long since been intrigued and also very appreciative of the role that a coach takes in their players' lives. Oftentimes we think of strategy, team identity, and conversations around coaches, but there's so many more dimensions to the importance of coaching, primarily the growth and development of these players inside and outside of the game, along with that necessary balance that needs to be instilled in these young players who are trying to balance academia, trying to have social lives, they're trying to be successful hockey players. So when you take a step back and look at the big picture of what you're doing as a coach, what is your overall approach with these students to ensure that you're guiding them in the most well-rounded way that you can so that they can be successful in multiple areas of their lives and not just in a hockey game? That's a very good question. And first of all, any praise for me is, <laughs> I think it's reflected upon some, we happen to have good kids over the last several years. That helps a lot to begin with. I think a lot of times you, you get good kids in and it makes your life a lot easier. But my, my big thing was because I was a professor, um, and I, I had to actually make sure that that academic focus was always there. And, that, and um, you know, one of the things once again, try not to go after some of my colleagues in, in, in our field, but we're always often in, in the sport management faculty area. We, we want to point fingers at, you know, at, at coaches that maybe their, their focus isn't always on the academic identity side of things. Uh, I didn't really have that choice because being a professor, it was, I was going to be finding a balance in my own self, trying to balance the role of being professor, faculty, and a hockey coach, which can be, let's, let's be real, it it's, um, certainly has some dual roles, and sometimes there's some conflict with both of it. Um, but for me, it was also a lot of things the same coaches all want to do, set, set structure, making sure we had study hall time, making sure we're focusing on things that were off the ice. Because um, at the end of the day, at our level, as much as we like to praise you know, ourselves that we're getting towards that, we, we have a varsity focus. Bottom line, a lot, of our, a lot of our guys are going to go on and play professional hockey. So um, anybody getting involved at college hockey at, at this level I, I sure hope that if you're a coach that you are keeping the big picture in mind, let's make sure that, you know, besides study hall, that we're also talking about what are some of the things you're doing off the ice in terms of becoming a better person, career goals, um, how you can make your community better. Uh, and that's, that's what I was hoping to try to do the minute I took this on eight, nine years ago is, is a way to kind of compliment my life as a, as a professor. And I hope, I hope I've done a decent job with that. Um, that's, I guess that's the best way to answer it. And with you being a professor of sport management, a coach, an author, and we're going to dig into your book here in a little bit. If you had to narrow it down, what is one thing that you truly want your students and players to take away from their time with you at Eastern Kentucky? We talk a lot here on the show about how Nashville's expanded its hockey to a, a younger reach of kids, the importance of developing them at a young age, how crucial that is. So just for you personally, what is something that you hope that they've picked up and learned from you that they're going to use in their lives down the road? I love that question because, you know, I always remind myself, what our biggest win in the history of our program, let's, let's be real, was the time after 25 years of existence. Yes, we beat our rivals across, across the city, right? Packed arena, beat them in overtime. It's the greatest moment, really, of our lives in terms of hockey players. But I always was glad I had them, I guess, in that moment, remembered afterwards. We get them gathered after everybody's excited. And I remember we do this hockey thing. The reason why we do this hockey thing is to try to become better people off the ice. What, what are some of the lessons on a night where you're down five, three, you come back and win. 
um, and then win it in overtime? What are some of these things that transform into the rest of your life um, to never quit, um, to always strive to be better, but also when the chips are down to look and look for support with your teammates. So we talked about that immediately after the game. And I think that was probably the, the best part of it. I'm hoping that these kids get that part of it. I call them kids when they're college kids. Um, why I think we have figured it out and have done a decent job with it is it happens to be two kids that were from Nashville. And it was about two years after that. And one of our, one of our hockey players, Cam Angus, he had, had have his, his father passed away. And it was all of a sudden, and we were, you know, as a community, hockey community, we were just in shock. And the phone rang at about five in the morning for me. Of course, I picked it up right away. And I went and looked back on it. I said, Cam, who did you reach out to first? And he reached out to Corey Jenks, another Nashville kid. And it's like, I think we figured it out that when things are tough, we can still look to each other for support for the rest of our life. When something bad happened at three in the morning, he called a teammate and the teammate long after a hockey career has been not playing anymore, picked up the phone right away. Cause he knows that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. You know, when this, this thing that we're doing, you know, it goes beyond sports. It goes beyond hockey. It, it truly does. And and again, joining us right now is Dr. Joel Cormier, the head coach of Eastern Kentucky University, the hockey program there, and the author of Hockey Midnight in Kentucky from American Press Publishers. And you can get that at AmericanPressPublishers.com. And so just a quick little snippet of, of the description of this book so we can talk about it. It's Hockey Midnight in Kentucky serves both as a memoir and as a coaching guide for anyone looking to explore the theoretical and practical aspects of coaching. So this is obviously targeted towards coaching or coaches, those that are interested in it and learning the ebbs and flows of it as well, which is really cool because it gives a behind the scenes look at the structure of this and the culture of, of coaching and everything too. So when putting this book together, as, as someone who's been in teaching and a professor and everything and having to publish all the time, is this basically what you wanted to do is like, I'm going to publish my thoughts and everything, but I'm going to put it in a book form. So I can say here, I'm presenting you my, my theories and everything on this, but just in a, in a more easy to consume book form. It's really the goal of it too. And, and then <laughs> what ends up happening is, is, um, you know, I, I meant to just mentioned before the show, <laughs> I got married during COVID and I'm writing this book and a lot of what I also talk about in is work-life balance. And then one of the issues I kept saying is, oh boy, as much as I want to share behind the scenes stuff, um, always, always careful about what you're saying, but also try not to overshare a little too much so that my wife is not saying, why did you share that? That's part of our personal life. So, you know, but, you know, work-life balance is, is so vitally important in this thing as well. So, you know, one of the, the things that happened after there was a bit of a downturn of our program and I, I often said, look, I don't, don't want to overshare, but I want to let you know that, you know, part of, part of, um, <laughs> part of surviving this thing was probably having a, my own social support system besides my own hockey players after a while. So, um, but, you know, for me, it was, I think like anybody, I, I had a goal. I wanted to, I kind of wanted to be an author like anybody wants to. And um, I had great support system to be able to write this. Um, uh, we'll see how, how it's accepted in academia. We'll try maybe use it in my foundations of coaching class, but otherwise uh, <laughs> required reading for my own player. How's that? <laughs> well, well I, I mean, I think too, because you start thinking about all the different levels of coaches there are in hockey and any, any sport, because a lot of times, you know, things that are talked about in coaching can be applied to so many different sports by how you relate to the players and how you, you create a culture uh, and community around a team and everything. So it's not just hockey, it's any team. Yeah. And you think about the different youth levels and that every age group has a level of coaching. You start adding that together for every single city. There's a huge audience 
for something yeah. like this as well, for people that can learn. And it's all about talking about different philosophies and trying to become better people and human beings and coaches as well. So a 30 second elevator pitch is what I'd like now. Like you say you have like five coaches, all of a sudden you're in an elevator together and they're like, Oh, you're an author. What'd you write the book about? So what's, what's a good elevator pitch for this? Because I know we have plenty of hockey coaches that listen to the show too. Well, if you're looking for a book that's going to look at things, not just from a theoretical base, but apply it with some good practical guide to coaching, I think this is a perfect book. It applies both structural, the culture, the human resource side of things, and even gets into some of the political matters that are not always easy to discuss. So um, if anybody's looking for a book that um, I like to think is offers a very good form of edutainment while learning about coaching. I think you'll, you'll find this is a pretty good book because let's be real, you know, <laughs> coaching hockey and uh, in Kentucky being quite unique in itself. <laughs> well, I just remember in the foreword too, it's like, you, know, you made sure to address the whole awkwardness between the UK and EKU. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I'm oh, sure that's fun. Uh, so well, folks, you got, the book you probably might be more popular in Tennessee than Kentucky. Let's, let's <laughs> <pretty. laughs> Well, well, folks, you're, you have to make sure to pick up this book again. It's Hockey Midnight in Kentucky by Dr. Joel Cormier. You can find it on American Press Publishers. And hey, I have a coach coming in for my beer league team. We're having a practice tonight. So he's very excited to come coach some rec league players through some skills and drills. So it's always it's good awesome. to have a coach there to help guide you through things instead of it just being a cluster on the ice. It's They play a very important role. So, awesome. Joel, we, we definitely appreciate your time and just best wishes on the book and so excited that, it, that it's been launched. Thank you very much. Great, great to be here and uh, good luck with, with everything. Dr. Joel Cormier, Eastern Kentucky University, the head coach there, new book out. Make sure you go get that book, especially if you're a coach, any level, any level, especially hockey. All right, up next, Predators had their indices and media availability. Let's discuss that up next and some of the responses there and just some of the changes you'd like to see made this offseason for the National Predators. Up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box right here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny taking care of us behind the glass. I uh, hope you enjoyed that interesting conversation with Dr. Joel Cormier. If you missed it on coaching philosophy, you can find that at penaltyboxreader.com and on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. You can get the podcast version of that tomorrow. Or if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can find it right now on those other things because you already found it. Inception. Okay. National players had their media availability uh, today. Uh, Unlike most off seasons, this was not in person. So this was on zoom. And so only select players were available, unfortunately, because I, I tend to enjoy when we are basically in one of their training rooms at Bridgestone arena. And there's like two or three players going at once. You're just running back and forth, trying to get questions in. And you get to have that feel more one-on-one. And I know eventually that'll, that'll return. I hope because miss that. And I know, I know a lot of these teams don't like running zooms either because it does get kind of troublesome. But to have that one-on-one feel as well, because you get to feel more personality, I think from the players being able to come out as well, feeling that one-on-one approach. But the, ask Pecorine, obviously the obvious question came out, right? Of, have you made a decision yet? And he said, no. <laughs> he still wants time. And he also is not closing any doors because he didn't want to regret anything he'd say when asked about, would you play for another NHL team? He's just leaving it all open. And I can't fault him for that. So the last thing you want to do is pull the Ryan suitor. I mean, that really is because I, I think most people are over the suitor thing now, but he said he wanted to resign and then he didn't. Mm-hmm. And so Rene not saying, well, I'd never play for another team or anything like that. And what if he ends up doing that? It, you don't want to say anything you're going to regret. So I think he played it very, very smart and he wants to evaluate what's going to be best for him and his family and everything like that. He didn't even 
turned down the whole idea of playing in Finland still. Mm-hmm. You're just leaving everything open. And so finally got to the point, I asked questions not about his potential retirement. <laughs> and I asked him, should Yusasaros have been a finalist for the Vezina? And it was curious because he took this approach that made me think that he could have a future in broadcasting. Maybe, maybe in broadcasting because he took a very unbiased approach to this. And I really appreciated it. So he said, unfortunately, it's always the stats and wins. And he had the stats. He had the injury that held him back too. But for me, he definitely deserved it and how big of a factor he was this year. But also that he understands and doesn't want to take away anything from the other three goalies. And they understood that Saros didn't have a good start to the season. I mean, he addressed all the things in a very fair, balanced manner, which was quite impressive to me that it wasn't just rah, rah, Saros, Saros, Homer, 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 like even like we can be sometimes. Uh, <laughs> that he took a very fair approach to this and said that he thinks he should have been, but just want to take away from the other goaltenders. And it comes down to all the stats. And Rene looked at that. I mean, he, he like... Got into he his broadcast mode. Well done, he Penica. Did. He's wise beyond his years. He is. You have, and to appreciate, you have to appreciate that that approach. You really do. Like you, you said, maybe there's you do. And it was just great to hear him talk about Saros and just being a mentor there and addressing the whole what it was like to become a backup and everything and how he's able to spin that the right way. I mean Renee's very well trained in media and being able to talk to media, but not in giving short answers. So he was able to give long answers to make you feel like he answered your question, even if he didn't, which is fantastic. I love that about him. <laughs> He's able to do that. Uh, another one, and sorry, I don't have the audio right now. I still have not received that file yet. But I'm trying to ask questions that aren't pertaining to like gotcha questions or anything like that. But we noticed obviously plenty of leaders stepping up season because they had to due to injuries and things like that so Roman Yossi who's the captain obviously and I asked him who's one of the guys that you thought really did step up this year with the injuries and everything and he said one guy you have to think of is Ekholm for sure there's a lot of time when Ellis was out and I was out on defense he really stepped up he was great in the room there's one that comes comes to mind it's it's Eki he really stepped up and I asked Ekholm on the other side of that of hey Roman Yossi singled you out as being one of the guys that stood out as being a leader this year and I'm glad Ekholm took it and ran with it because I wasn't even thinking about the Olay raising the stick above the head coming off the ice. The yeah, Olay, Olay, Olay. But he went there. He's like, I was just trying to be me and be myself and just help lighten it up in the locker room a little bit and help guys get closer. And he did. I mean, you saw the, the how f- much fun he was having. It was like him and Trennan. <laughs> yeah. The two guys with the Olay stick over the head. But you see through the leader that Ekholm has become, too, because he leads by example. But you can also tell, too, that he's vocal uh, in what he wants to do. And like he said, he just wanted to be there for for the guys. And I can see that. I love the answer of Ekholm. I was trying to think if maybe he'd do a younger player. But Ekholm has been a leader. But for Yossi to recognize that, and Ekholm even said, it's really good for the captain to recognize that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And that has to feel good for a player, you know, to be recognized by the captain, for the captain to be able to say, you know, you stepped up when I couldn't. And I think that just speaks volumes for what goes on in this locker room that none of us usually get to see, you know, we get to see the on ice product. Um, And unfortunately in all sporting situations, there are situations where teams just might have a not so great locker room, a not so positive locker room, but this goes to show that there's that continued support. There's not a, I'm above this person, you know, it's, I can acknowledge when somebody is stepping up and doing what they're supposed to do because I see it. I see the improvements in our team 
And, and I think that says a lot about the leadership in Roman Yossi as well. So you love to hear that kind of stuff. And, and I, 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 did, I appreciate it too, because my thought process was the same thing. Like, oh, one of the younger guys that kind of came in and stepped in and, you know, tried to turn this team around and for him to recognize Matias Ekholm was, that was pretty special. I know for Eki as well. So. And Boyle just, no matter what, if, you know, if he doesn't, re- if he doesn't extend after next season or if he does whatnot, I'll just never forget Matias Ekholm has had enough of your, mm. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Eki goes crazy guys, you do not want to get in the you don't way. Want to be against, you don't want to be playing against Matias Ekholm when he's had enough of it. No, you, you definitely, definitely don't. Uh, another one just to highlight is Philip Forsberg asked him about the youth and how it pushed the team to get better. And this was kind of a theme going through there as well because it did. It helped push guys to get better. And that's what we discussed too. Mm-hmm. Having youth in there push these people to get better. It's, it's going to be curious going into training camp next season, uh, barring major shifts, right? But do you think about, especially in the blue line and what we saw, you know, Dante Fabro dealing with injury and everything, but he didn't play in the playoffs. And Alex Carrier did. And Alex Carrier had been waiting patiently his turn to get this opportunity. He's playing top pairing minutes. I mean, he led the team in time on ice uh, in the last game. Jeremy Davies got his opportunity. David Ference is going to continue to get his opportunity. You know, they have big expectations for him. So those are three guys right there. They're going to be vying for spots or potential spots. And Mark Borvietsky is, is hopefully going to be healthy. And a side note too, if you have not read... Mark Borowiecki's Instagram post just about dealing with, with mental health and, and everything and what he's gone through this season to answer some questions of why he was missing for part of the season too. That wasn't just injury related. Please go read that. It took a lot, a lot of strength for him to post that and for him to share that. And he's always been known to do that. He is mm-hmm. truly one of hockey's good guys willing to share, stand up for people that can't always stand up for themselves and stand up for underrepresented folks as well. Mark Borowiecki is good human being and it takes a lot for him to share what he shared in his Instagram. I don't want to say it now because you need to go experience it for yourself and to read the story. And I think that just echoing what you said, Justin, I think this, this league needs more of that. Absolutely. Um, And for him to be the person to stand up and hopefully be that example for other people in the league, not just the people that he's, you know, that he's helping with these posts and being open. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, Being, making those posts and being open and everything. And, and it's one of those things, the predators, they were missing Mark Borowiecki thing in the playoffs. That was what he was signed for. Right. And there's nothing to put on him. It's that that's how you can tell that he was a piece that he definitely, I think would have been a, a better option out there than Ben Harper, Eric Goodbranson, things like that. Um, but that's where he even said, you hope that he's able to return next season. He's ready to go and train and give it his all and be ready for the predators to play. Uh, so that's one of those little changes there too. So it'd be interesting to see, what young players are pushing. Obviously, Ali Tolvanen had a rough playoffs, but he had a good regular season, especially prior to his injury. Uh, you have Rem Pitley kind of waiting in the wings too. You have Philip Tomasino is going to be pushing. There's a lot of potential changes coming up for the Nashville Predators and some things that might need to happen in the offseason uh, for this team to continue to make their push. And we will see what happens there. So up next, let's discuss some of these questions that you all have brought in. And I know... One of them's on the expansion draft, so we're going to have to answer that, and that's why I kind of tease what's going to happen next. Because before we enter our off-season mode, we have to give a preview of off-season mode for the Predators. So that's up next here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN, 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. In our final segment of the 2021 season, because next time we talk to you, it'll be the 21-22 season. 
Whew. And that's Ooh, only that's a, weird. <laughs> a, a mere few months away and we're both getting old, Glenn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we did have some questions come in on Twitter. We appreciate you all participating. And let's go with this. This one comes from friend of the show, Dan Rice from the Hockey Writer. Hines took a lot of heat here, mostly unfair. We said heat, probably Twitter, at the end of his tenure in New Jersey. How do you evaluate him thus far in Nashville, considering he hasn't had a normal training camp and to some degree offseason yet? Glenn, you go first because I tend to steal your answer. So you go first. No, I actually think that's such a great question. And shout out to Dan. We love Dan here at the show. Um, I mean, I know, I remember when John Hines got hired with the Nashville Predators and I remember the heat that he took in New Jersey. And I was thinking, what, what will he bring to this team? I did not have an extensive knowledge about his style, his, his coaching experience. I was, I was uninformed. Um, And like you said, Dan, he, he hasn't had a full run at this yet, but I think what I can evaluate him on so far is that he did manage to get this team back to some sort of an identity, right? Like even at the beginning of this season, I could not see that identity in this team. I couldn't see it. I saw it in the, I saw it towards the end of the season and I saw it in the playoffs. And I think that the mark of a good coach, one of the marks of a good coach is the ability to bring that out in your team, get your team to buy into that system, buy into that identity. And although they, I mean, you just hate to see it because, oh, they got out in the first round, but they, they didn't just go out in the first round. They fought, they clawed, they just didn't, the bounces just didn't go their way at the end of the day, right? So I think that I can safely say that I like what he's bringing to this team. I just don't, none of us know how far he can take this team right now. It's really hard to evaluate that. Um, but I do, I do feel confident saying that he helped bring out the identity of this team. And I think that in order to move forward, they needed, they needed to be able to do that. They needed to be able to know who they are and where they want to go. And I think that, that he's helped with that. So I think we'll just have to have a little more under John Hines to truly, truly evaluate. But as of right now, I mean, I think he's done, I think he's done as best as he can with a little bit that he's had. I think you, you covered a lot of it right there. Typically what you say to me, (laughs) but, but, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it's really weird because he came in the middle of the season, then you have the pandemic hit and then you have a weird training camp going into play-in series. Then you don't have a full training camp because the season's delayed by many, many months. And then you have a shortened season. Then you have a ton of injuries. I almost said a bad word there because that's how much of a ton (laughs) of injuries they had. (laughs) They were still going to make it to the playoffs and look competitive in the playoffs and competent in the playoffs too. There, for me, there are still things that I question John Hines over, but I also question is, was it management getting involved with some of these decisions or was it fully John Hines? I'm assuming it's fully John Hines by now. For instance, why, why in game one, did you go with so much beef? That is a big thing for me. Um, why, why, why was Ellie Tolvanen scratched in a few games to start the season uh, or even in the playoffs? He wasn't growing. So I understand that, that change. Why was Ben Harper out there so much? I mean, I, I think those are some of the questions for me, but overall the team showed that they could buy into his system. They could be competitive in a system as well. And they rebounded. So credit is due there for that, that they rebounded. He is supposed to be the guy that works good with young players, works well with young players. And so I'm curious to see if he does get a full training camp, which he should this season, 
get a full training camp with young players, what kind of impression those guys can make and how this team can start off by actually having a preseason and having to start to the season like that. That's how I want to be able to evaluate. I want a true full season to fully evaluate what he's capable of doing with this team because he has not had that yet. And it's been a long time, it seems, and he has not had that. Aye. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. So, okay. Next one. Uh, this one comes from a troubled mind. Best Preds playoff team from 2015 to 2021. Ignore an outcome. Strengths, weaknesses. It'll be tight, but there's some wiggle room to sign Seth Jones. Good Branson and Granlin. Uh, pending UFA. Tonight's discussion topic. Okay. Jones is not coming here. They need to They need to make so many different maneuvers to have Seth Jones here. And I think Seth Jones is going to have to go to a team if they're going to trade him or if it's after the next season, whatnot, or could just be posturing by Seth Jones. But it's gonna have probably the teams that have cap room are the ones that are bad. That's the that's the trouble. That's the, that's the ones he could go to right now that, where they have cap space for him. Uh, I don't care for Good Branson still being here. There's young too many young guys that are appropriate here, and especially if Borvietsky's healthy. There's your, your your beef, and you're tough to play against. Um, I was fine with Benning overall as a third pairing. It's still an upgrade over Erwin Weber, I think. Uh, but Carrier 100% needs to be in this lineup too. Totally okay with him resigning Mikael Glenland if they're able to pull that off as well, obviously he's earned more money given the way that he played and shoot even Eric Hollis showed that he could perform as well as a solid third line center after the trade deadline, but have to be for cheap again, another one year deal potentially. So th- those are my things right there. And Glenn, before I hand it back over to you, the strongest playoff team I think was the president's trophy team. Uh, and that's because that team overall was the best team in the NHL. They just ran up against a roadblock of Winnipeg uh, in, in the second round of the playoffs. But I think that was the best team in yeah. this modern era National Predators team. The 2017 team put it together really well, and they were fun yeah. to watch. They were clicking, but I think the best team was the 2018 team. Well, I'll just say that it was the 2017 team to not have the same answer as you. Okay. Because in a way, <laughs> they might not have been the actual best team, but they were pure magic, and they got yes. the whole league watching them. Um, and that has to say something about that team as well. So I'm going to go with them. Absolutely. Okay. This next one comes from friend of the show, Jack Woods. What's one thing you'd like to see in the Loki series? That's oh, I can talk s- hours about this. No, I'm going to hand yeah. it over to you, Justin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see some unique cameos and them going back to different versions of events happening in marvel movies of mcu films and then playing out slightly differently because the loki series for those of you who don't know is dealing with time travel and messing with with different time with different time verses within the mcu i'm just like how they address this in an end game how they go and to make sure not to mess things up in that certain timeline and make and create a new timeline so i'd like to see different events from different movies readjusted because Loki was present or what happens in there. I'm sure that's something that's going to happen. They're going to address that, but I'd love to see multiple cameos with that. So who's like one ideal cameo that you'd want to, like a unique cameo that you'd want to see? Oh gosh. I'd love to see a Steve Rogers, Captain America one, Chris Evans one. Give me a little bit more Chris Evans as Captain America, please, please, please. Just a little bit there. I don't think that's going to happen though, but you never know. But you you can dream. I, 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 a man can dream. Man. Okay, this one comes from Ryan. Who do you protect in the expansion draft? Which players do you trade away this offseason to make more cap and roster room? This is like the million dollar question coming into the offseason. And for me, this is more about what I think is going to happen 
compared to what I want to happen because what I want to happen is not going to happen. Okay. Right. Well, what I want to happen is them to leave some other players exposed that you wouldn't typically expose, Mm -hmm. like your Matt Duchesne or something like that. Yeah. But if if I'm going into this and going through the motions on what I think is going to happen, I think this is the way they're going to run it. It's going to be the eight and one approach, Mm -hmm. just like what they did before. What I think will happen, they'll protect Duchesne, Johansson, Forsberg, and Cunning. Yossi, because you have to, because of the no movement clause. Ekholm, Ellis, and Fabro. Okay. Uh, so that means you leave Victor Arvidsson exposed. You're going to leave Colton Sissons exposed. Kelly Yarncoke exposed. Those guys like that. Uh, Nick Cousins exposed. So that's going to make it very interesting. What I would do is leave one of the others exposed, and I would protect... I'd probably say, let's say Kelly Yarncroke. Yeah. Is who I'd protect. I mean, it's, I truly think, though, it's going to be one of Sissons or Yarncroke that's going to be going to Seattle. That's just what I think right now. Yeah. And actually, we had this same conversation for the last expansion draft. I talked about the value that Kelly Yarncroke was going to bring right. if he was exposed. And I'm still in my mind that same scenario because I think. You know, when you're looking at like an uncertain future for some of the players, I know Victor Arvison has struggled with injuries, um, quite a few injuries. Um, that could be somebody possibly that maybe somebody would explore that. But at the end of the day, I think, I mean, I call him Chameleon Cali because he is, he can, I've said it a hundred times on the show. <laughs> he, wherever you put him, he will thrive. And so he will just kind of blend in wherever he needs to be. I mean, he's always going to kind of fly under the radar, but I think that he would bring value to any team in this league. So I can't imagine a scenario where Seattle might not want to snatch him up if he was available. Yeah. So. And it's going to be a different expansion draft. GMs were going to the previous one, <clears throat> treating it like the other expansion drafts that happened on late nineties. It was going to be very, very different. Very, very mm-hmm. different. Now they've had, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Vegas one to help prepare them for how a general manager should react in this case. So just very curious with what's going to happen there. Or Seth Jones could be traded to Seattle and he becomes their captain. (laughs) Oh gosh. You never know. Uh, All right, folks. Well, it is time for us to go. We appreciate you as always following along with us this entire season. Uh, We can't wait to be back with you in the fall. It has been a season of ups and downs and we've had so many great guests and can't thank them enough for joining us. Great guests from our division uh, here which has been fantastic of meeting new people, especially co- that come from Eastern conference teams. That we've been able to, to have on the show and it's wonderful people that know so much about hockey and have provided great discussion. So we hope that you've enjoyed this a season as well, as much as we have. And it's been a unique one because obviously we've been doing mo- pretty much all of it via zoom. Uh, so definitely appreciate the producers at one Oh two five for taking care of us and airing those segments and everything and getting us taken care of with airing the show. And a big thanks to Ryan Porth. Uh, for giving us a home here in 1025 the game uh, we just appreciate all the listeners and the way you all interact with us and just please continue to do that through the off season you all know we're always available uh, i'm always posting stuff about food and marvel and things like that so feel free to interact with that too um, discuss with us we'll obviously have special things going on around the draft and free agency too uh, so we'll be around and then with glenn always make sure you're looking out for cat picks and positive vibes because she's always good with sending those out and if you need someone all to brighten your day and- she can do that <laughs> And if you have any goat 
any goat things, you can throw those my way too. And I'll <laughs> gladly, I'll gladly welcome them with open arms, but it really has been such an interesting season, but it's, it's so much fun to have the Preds community to do this with. I mean, it's been odd. It's been strange. It's been stressful at times, but we're all kind of doing it together and it's been a blast. And thanks, like Justin said, thanks to all of our guests that we've had. We're hoping that, you know, establishing those relationships, we can get them back next season for a full season. We're ready. A full season. Is it time yet? So- not yet not yet but we'll be back hopefully late september early october that would be the plan and yeah we're gonna have some trips coming up the penalty box radio trips we'll be focusing those again too so we have plenty of things coming up for the 21 22 season remember send all your goat picks to glenn (laughs) she's at rebecca on twitter i'm at justin bradford so thanks so much penaltyboxradio.com if you missed anything subscribe on spotify apple google stitcher wherever you get your podcast and hey We'll talk to you in the fall for producer Kenny, Glenn Blockle. This is Justin Bradford. Thanks so much for listening to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.